Well, this morning, if you have your Bible with you, you can flip to the book of John once again and John chapter 6 as we continue in our series called Follow Jesus, seeking this year through the gospel of John to understand more specifically from the life of the disciples as they followed Jesus, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus or to be a disciple of Jesus? The title of my sermon this morning is simply this, Jesus is Lord, even in stormy seas. And I think that is an incredibly important thing for us to wrap our heads and our hearts around, particularly this morning, particularly even this year. Um, We're going to look at John 6 this morning, but we're also going to look at, there are two other Gospels that record this same story. The story that we're going to look at uh, is also in Matthew 14 and in Mark chapter 6, and I think those two chapters as well will help just encourage us as we see all that is the power and the beauty of this storm, or this story rather, about Jesus and what he does in a storm, a storm that his disciples find themselves in. Um, I personally remember with great joyfulness and and a little bit of a panic attack as I think back to um, the summer of 2012, I was taking my third uh, missions trip to Ecuador. Um, Japheth and Monica, who are here this morning, um, who now lead Psalm 96 Ministries, they as well can tell you many testimonies, many stories, many amazing God moments that they have experienced uh, in Ecuador as they lead that church planting ministry that covers various parts of the nation um, of Ecuador. But on this trip, and I think maybe Japheth was with me on this particular trip, um, but what you should know really about any trips to Ecuador is there's a lot of travel involved. And the very first part of it is about a four-hour flight that you take from Miami to Quito, Ecuador, which is actually the highest capital in the world. And so after you land on the mountaintop, you then hop in a van and you take about a six-hour van ride as you're going slowly down the Andes Mountains to head out to the West Pacific Coast. Um, In my own personal experiences on my three trips, that van portion of the ride has included at least one rock slide, um, at least one shaky wooden bridge, and at least one riot, actually, that we had to, that involved fire and things and craziness, but the Lord watched over us and, and carried us through each of those things. But by far the most interesting part of any trip to Ecuador has to be the time that we spend in a boat uh, on the river. When I say boat, what I mean is wooden canoe, and these wooden canoes are roughly three feet wide, maybe 25, 30 feet in length, and we stuffed our team of about 20 people and all of our gear and our guides into this canoe to begin what is about a three-hour trip down the river Cayapas to ultimately get to the coastal villages that would be our home. On this particular trip, um, about two hours into our three-hour trip, it began to pour rain. Uh, evening was setting in, and so it was getting dark, and uh, as the rain increased, then came the lightning, and there were strikes of lightning all around us on top of us, and literally the worst place that we could possibly be was in a canoe in the middle of the river. Um, and so we asked our, our guide, um, someone who could speak Spanish, asked our guide, you know, what, what should we do? And he said, and he was right, but he said, the safest thing that we can do is continue in and through the storm. We have to get home. We have to get to uh, the villages. As I think about that story, and obviously we all survived because here I am telling you about it, um, but as I, praise God, as I think about um, that night, a couple things stand out to me. First, I can tell you for a fact that I and every single member of that team grew in our faith. 
Um, that evening, we grew in our prayer life. That evening, we grew in our ability to call upon God's power, the Lord Jesus' power, because we knew this was out of our hands. Um, secondly, uh, something that strikes me is we were all in that storm, specifically because we had already chosen to obey God's call to go on that missions trip. We were in the storm because we were following Jesus' mission. Make no mistake about it. Uh, and thirdly, as I already said, it's important to realize that God brought us home. We got safely to the village, and at the end of our time there in ministry, we got home. And God brought us safely through the storm. So let's look now to the scripture in John chapter 6. This is a very brief story in the Gospel of John. It's verses 16 through 21. So let me read that to us this morning as we begin. Beginning in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. One of the most major understatements in all of Scripture. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's take a minute and let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is perfect. We thank you that your word is trustworthy and that your word is applicable to us today. And so, Father, we submit yourselves to, to ourselves to your leadership and your rule and your word. And Lord, would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Give us boldness. Give us faith over fear this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance and power, and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning, I'm going to give you what I would like to call one weather forecast and five promises about Jesus in the storm that we see from this story this morning. First of all, our weather forecast. I love weather forecasts, right? It's, it's maybe the easiest job on the planet if you are in the meteorological world. I'm sorry already, but right, you can say 50% chance of rain, which would also be 50% chance of not rain. The temperature is going to be anywhere between 65 and 90 degrees, and it's going to be partly cloudy as well as partly sunny. But here is my weather forecast for you. Number one, following Jesus will mean some dark nights and some stormy seas. How do I know? The scripture says so. Listen to uh, Mark 6.45 that again tells us this same story and gives us different details that we can piece together as we learn. It says this, immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat. And go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Following Jesus will mean dark nights and stormy seas. See, Jesus is the one who sent them into the storm. Pause and let that sink in for a second. Jesus knew that there would be a storm, and Jesus purposefully and lovingly sent his disciples into it. Jesus knew what was coming. Just like in the feeding of the 5,000 that we looked at last week that comes right before this story in John, Jesus wants to teach his disciples something 
and he's going to use this experience for them to learn. It's also worth observing right off the bat, this storm was not the result of sin. The disciples are not being punished. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms in life, and it's because of sin. It's because we have said, God, I don't want to go your way. I want to go my way, and inevitably a storm will result. Think in terms of Jonah, right? Jonah, the Lord said, go this way. Jonah said, I'm going that way, and he immediately found himself in a massive storm. Of course, the solution is the same in either case. Cry out to Jesus. But it's important to recognize that here, it was not because the disciples sinned that they were in the storm. They are in the storm because they obeyed what the Lord had called them to do. The disciples are in a storm because they pointed their boat in the direction that Jesus told them to go. And it was directly into rough seas and a dark night. The Bible tells us that they were three or four miles from shore. This means that they would have had to pull down whatever sails that they had because they are going against the wind. And they would have been rowing, and this would have been difficult rowing for hours on end because it says specifically also that it was the fourth watch of night. Matthew gives us that detail. And the fourth watch of night was between 3 and 6 a.m., So that means they have been rowing manually, exhausting work, into the wind and the storm for probably six or seven hours at this point. R. Kent Hughes writes a commentary on this specific story, and he says this to kind of connect it to our own day and time. He says, in this dark age, things can be so obscured by the secular winds of life and its problems that it looks as if Jesus has forgotten us, but he has not. He knows, he cares, he will come to our aid. See, because they followed Jesus Christ rather than their culture, rather than the crowd, as we observed last week, they found themselves in peril. In fact, their very lives are in peril. And this is not an unusual story, right? If we think about the whole of Scripture We looked earlier this year at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would never have faced the fire if they had followed the crowd. We've learned about Daniel, who who never would have faced the lions if he had decided not to pray to the Lord. We've learned about the Apostle Paul, who if he had decided to stay home, if he had decided to skip the missions trips, he would have lived a comfortable life. In fact, the event that takes place right before this John chapter 6 event is that John the Baptist was killed, was executed by a corrupt government in Israel simply for speaking the truth about Jesus and about sin. We have got to understand, brothers and sisters, that following Jesus will sometimes bring dark nights and stormy seas. Kids, if you want to pray in school, Any of us, if you want to share the gospel, if you want to bring peace into people's lives, if you want to care for people, if you want to live generously, if you want to live out and speak about biblical social justice, defending the life of the unborn, believing that truth is objective in Jesus Christ, if you want to live out and speak about biblical sexual ethics, if you want to stay faithful to your family, you will face storms in this life. If you want to serve selflessly, 
if you want to love and honor your spouse in marriage, if you want to teach your kids the gospel, if you want to serve as a missionary overseas, if you want to share the gospel in a country where it is illegal, you will face dark nights and stormy seas. And in all of these, what we learn right off the bat is that Jesus is with you. Amen? In all of it, Jesus is with us. In fact, Jesus says later on, John 16, one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible, at least it has been for me, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The remainder of our sermon now, I've given you the weather forecast, right? The remainder of the sermon are just Jesus' promises that he unfolds for us in this passage. And I see at least five that tell us, if I can borrow John 16, in this world you will have storms, but have faith. Jesus is Lord in and through the storm. So number two, application number two then, Jesus sees you in the storm. He sees you in the storm and he cares. If we go back to Mark chapter 6, we get a very interesting detail. It says this, beginning in verse 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus sends them and he goes up on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. What's going on? Well, Jesus had gone up to the mountain to pray and to be alone with his heavenly Father, which we absolutely can and should do the same. After feeding the 5,000, if you remember before he fed 5,000, he was already tired, hungry, and wanted to pray. But he set that aside to take care of 5,000. And now he is stopping once again what he is doing to get time alone with his heavenly Father in prayer. Jesus also saw the 5,000 from far away, and he cared about them, and he provided for them, if you remember last week. I can imagine if I'm one of the disciples that at this moment, I'm remembering what has just happened, and now I'm wondering, okay, Jesus, you took care of the 5,000. Are you going to take care of me? They had to have thought about that, and they had to have wondered, but they, they hopefully are learning. They should have learned from what they just saw, that Jesus sees and that Jesus cares. He has the power to save. He has the power to care, and he does so. So while he is up on the mountain, it says that he saw them straining on the oars. Now, this could be for two different reasons. The Bible does not explicitly say why. Either one, the result is the same. It is either because up on the mountain, he still had a clear view of them several miles out at sea, Or it is because Jesus is sovereign and omniscient and knows all things. In either case, it says that he sees what is going on in the disciples' lives. He's up on the mountain. You know, Old Testament and New, the mountain, very real mountains, are a symbol for authority. And Jesus in authority is up on the mountain talking to his Father God. And so even as the disciples are struggling down below, Even as you and I are struggling here on earth, Jesus, in total authority, above the storm clouds, sees. And then what does he do? Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come down to earth, 
to save sinners like you and me, didn't he? And in this exact moment, he replicates that because he left the mountain out of his love and affection for those who followed him, and he went to them and he rescued them. Jesus sees and he cares. Number three, as we continue to walk through the story, we see Jesus is Lord over all of creation and over all of your circumstances. This is, this is the punch, this is the high point of this whole story. Verse 25, Matthew tells it well, Matthew 14, 25, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Let's not miss the amazing significance of this. Is this literal? Yes. Is Jesus walking on stepping stones? No. Three to four miles out at sea, he is not walking on stepping stones. He is performing a miracle to save his people. And put yourself in the shoes of those disciples. They're sitting on the boat. They're exhausted. They're freaking out because their lives are in danger. And one of them looks over. Maybe it's Peter. He looks over and he sees somebody walking on the water. And he looks at John and he says, did Jesus say how he was going to come? Did Jesus say how he was going to meet up with us? No, not that I recall. Why? He's, he's, he's coming. What do you mean? I mean, he's coming. Where? Right there. He's walking on the water. What was their reaction? The Bible says they were frightened. They were terrified. They could not believe what they were seeing. In fact, one, tra- one, um, one of the versions says that they thought that they were seeing a ghost because they could not believe the miracle that they were seeing. But Jesus demonstrates to us here clearly that he is Lord not only of the storm but over all creation, all circumstances, all things. He is sovereign. And that is why we so often do and should go to Romans chapter 8 that tells us that when we face stormy seas, when we face difficult circumstances in our life, that He is using all things for your good and for His glory. What's the math on that? How does He accomplish that? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't have to understand it, but I believe it by faith, that the worst things that have happened in my life or in the life of a believer, that even those that Jesus is in control, He sent them in the boat, He rescues them in the boat, every drop of that stormy sea, Jesus says, this is mine, every drop. And I believe that He uses those things to draw us closer So you may know Jesus genuinely, but I promise that when you see and experience Jesus in a storm, that you will get to know him better, and it will be a grace. Fourth, Jesus will be right there with you. Jesus will be right there with you. Let's go back to John now in John 6, 19 and 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wow. That's a lot, Jesus. Do not be afraid. Okay. What is he telling us? First of all, let's not miss the most obvious thing, that Jesus is God. And he is telling us once again through the Gospel of John that, make no mistake, I am God. When he says, it is I, it is the exact 
Same words that God the Father said to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, 14. I am. In Greek, ego e me. I am. It is I. Yahweh, that is the name of God. And when Jesus himself walks on water, he greets the disciples who think that he is a ghost by telling them, I am. And that is the substance. Note the order here. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. Oh, by the way, I'm God. He says, I am God. Therefore, as a result of who I am, find your strength to not live in fear based on who I am. The order is important. I am God. Therefore, do not be afraid. In theology, we learn the term imminence, God's imminence. And what it means very simply is that God is close by. God is near. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. He is always near. And in fact, Jesus has done just that. He has come near in this moment. Throughout Old Testament and New, we are reminded of this promise that God is close. The devil will tell you that he is far off, that he does not know and that he does not care, but the Scripture says something different. Psalm 139, that is a powerful psalm for so many reasons. Look at verses 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which means death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. In life and in death and in eternity, He is with you. What a promise to hold on to. You know, when we read the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, at the very end, you know, we can focus in on, and rightly so, what we should do. We are called to be and make disciples. Go, therefore, to every nation. But do not forget the promise that is attached with the command that is the most important. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 28, the crescendo of that gospel, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I am not leaving, says Jesus. Jesus will be right there with you. Fifth promise, number five. Jesus will bring you from shrinking fear to bold faith. Jesus will bring you from shrinking fear to bold faith. You know, what's maybe most fascinating about this particular story is that the disciples have already done this once before. See, the disciples had gone through a storm in a boat with Jesus earlier. We get that story from Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8. And they grew in their faith as a result of another storm on another boat with the same Jesus. In that story, Jesus was exhausted from having preached all day. And so it says that he took a nap in the bottom of the boat. And again, a violent storm arose, one that certainly Jesus sent. And the boat actually begins to sink in that story. And the disciples feared that they would drown, which seems like a very reasonable thing to be concerned about, right? There's nothing wrong with their concern, but their fear, they miss out on who is in the boat. So the first thing they do, rightfully so, they wake up Jesus and they say, Master, don't you care that we are all about to perish? I think they meant it. 
That was the position of their hearts. They didn't yet know and believe that Jesus genuinely cared. And so by bringing them through the storm, Jesus is going to teach them and show them in their heart of hearts that, yes, I care. And yes, I will do something about it. And Jesus responds to that question, and he says this, why are you so fearful? And it's close to home, doesn't it? Jesus asked them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have such small faith? He's not saying it to condemn them. He's saying it to grow them, to sanctify them. And the next word was a word to the waves. You remember? Jesus says to the waves to be still. And what was the result? The waves were still. Jesus is in total control. And so we see that they have actually grown in their faith. This time, they are not frightened by the waves. It says specifically the only thing that they were frightened by was when they saw Jesus himself coming on the water. There are multitudes of times where God himself will show up, where Jesus will show up, where angels on their behalf will show up, and every single time it says they were terrified, amazed, blown away. But what God is saying lovingly through his son is that we do not have to live in fear by the circumstances of this life, the storms that we face because of who is with us. And through the storms, their fear is being discipled into faith. That's the good news of what he is doing in this crisis. You know, and Matthew gives us one more nugget about this story. It only shows up in Matthew, but it is a fascinating moment. And if you know this story, this is the moment where Peter specifically comes into play. Look at Matthew 14. This is verse 28 through 32. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter is growing in faith. He, Jesus, said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. What? Peter walked on the water and came to Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Crying out to Jesus for salvation there was absolutely right. Focusing on the storm instead of Jesus was his mistake. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It is shocking to me that Jesus is saying to him in that moment, why would you doubt? Because I'm thinking so much about the storm. But what Jesus is saying really is this radical, you have Nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, but Jesus, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. And that is my, that is our daily experience. The storm is so overwhelming that Jesus' power and authority who's standing right next to me somehow becomes diminished. But guys, Jesus does not diminish. Jesus does not go away. Jesus does not struggle. Jesus does not doubt. Jesus does not ignore. Somehow we get lost in our thoughts Jesus does not change, and he is calling us out of fear and into faith, to refine our faith. Do you know how uh, the ancient silversmiths would refine their silver? They would put this, this unrefined, dirty silver into 
a fire, right? and they would melt it. And it would take a really long time, but the silversmith would constantly come back and check the melting silver, and what he would do would be to scrape the dross or the impurities, to scrape the dirt off the top that was bubbling up to remove the impurities until it was gone. And he would know that all of the impurities were gone when he would look into that hot silver and see perfectly his own reflection. What is Jesus doing in our lives? He's doing exactly the same thing. He is removing the impurities of sin and faithlessness and doubt in my life so that as He continues by His Holy Spirit to grow me and sanctify me, that when He looks into that molten silver that is me, that He will see more and more His face in the reflection. Not that I'm going to be perfect in this life, but that God loves me so much that He saved me and He is making me, making you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, not only for His glory, but so that when people look at you, they too would see Jesus. That when people hear the words that you say, that they would hear Jesus. That when you interact in life, that they themselves would be pointed to the glorious reflection of Jesus. Because obviously it is not about the mirror. It's about the man. It's about the Savior. It's about the Lord. And if I can add one more scripture that has been incredibly powerful and important in my life, especially as of late, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us specifically how to do this. How do I turn fear into faith? And Ephesians chapter 6 is about war. It's about spiritual warfare. It is about the reality that we are in a battle and we have to go, okay, so how do I fight? How do I win this battle? And Ephesians 6 tells us how. Listen to the equipment. Beginning in verse 10 through verse 18, hang with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Okay. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Understand who your enemy is. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Soak in that Scripture. That's how we do it. Sixth, And finally, last promise that we see from Jesus in this passage, Jesus will bring you safely home. John 6, 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Believer, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, God will bring you through. Even in death, God will bring you through. I love how this passage ends in John. It says, immediately 
They were at the shore. Now, again, there's two ways that we could take this, and in either case, it's the same result. Either it was so amazing having Jesus physically present on the boat with them that that time flew, and before they realized that they were at the shore, or that there was yet another miracle that not only did Jesus see them from afar, not only did Jesus walk with them to them on the water, that he instantly made the storm cease and brought them the other three to four miles immediately to the other side. In either case, Jesus brought them safely home. I did not invent this phrase, but it's a good one. If he has called you to it, he will bring you through it. Believer, that is your promise. Jesus will be with you every moment of your life and for eternity in heaven. And how did the followers of Jesus respond? They fell on their knees and worshiped Jesus. Matthew 14, those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God, which is yet another evidence that Jesus is God. Not only that they say it, but that He allows them to worship Him. He's God. But believer, let's worship Jesus at every phase of the storm. Beginning, middle, and end, we respond with worship. If you are not a believer this morning, if you are still trying to understand who Jesus is and what His relevance should be to your life, let me say this to you. You, like me, are helpless in a boat without Jesus. And there is nothing that you can do unless you cry out to Him in salvation. Today, you can be saved for all eternity. And it really comes down to two simple things. First, you've got to believe that Jesus is able to do for you what you cannot do yourself. And secondly, that in recognizing that, that you say, Jesus, I want you as Lord and King of my life. Jesus came to save you from the guilt of sin and to change your life. Uh, this, this month and even this week, I, I've faced some storms, and the Lord did what only He could do. Um, and many of you maybe saw, I posted a picture of this earlier in the week, but I was sitting preparing this very sermon out in our backyard, and it was a, a light rain coming down. And as I'm working through the text, I look up, and there's a rainbow. I love rainbows. And this was not your average rainbow, just so we're clear. This was a double. I had the double rainbow going, and I could see the pot of gold situation on each side. I mean, it was coming all the way down in the neighborhood. This was like the, maybe the best, best rainbow I've ever seen. But it was the perfect timing as God used this creation symbol, thing that he had made to remind me of what the Bible says is a promise that Jesus will save. Specifically, in that story, God saved his people from the flood, right? If you remember the rainbow, the flood in Genesis, he saved his people from a flood, and it was a flood of his justice. The water that filled the earth was God's punishment and justice for sin. God made it storm for 40 days and 40 nights, but he put those who trusted him in a big old boat. And he saved them from the storm 
of his justice for sin. And after he had finished saving them, the Bible tells us in Genesis, it says that when he made that rainbow, that he hung up his bow, his bow and arrow in the sky to say, I will never again flood the earth. I will never again do that. And that promise is left hanging until Jesus comes. Jesus fulfills perfectly that promise in the God-man Jesus because Jesus took the full weight of God's justice for sin. I deserved punishment. I deserved that flood. And Jesus took the flood instead of me, instead of you. And the way to receive this absolutely free gift is simply to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. Forgive me for my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. Will you come to him? Will you trust him? Let's take a minute and let's pray together to King Jesus.